that might have helped him at the time, but it was also what hindered him from fully maturing into who he could become, into who he was really called to be, if you want to use, you know, um, churchy language. Welcome to Not So Secular. My name is Mon Reyes. I am a Catholic lay missionary here in the Philippines, and I will be your host here today. If you enjoy the work that we do here at Not So Secular, and if you wish to support it, you can go to ko-fi.com slash notsosecular. That's ko-fi.com slash notsosecular. That allows you to participate in producing this podcast through your giving. So you can imagine it. It's it's just as if you're buying me a cup of coffee. So that's the idea behind it. You want to continue the kind of content that we produce here on this podcast. And one of the ways that you could do that is with your giving. Again, that's ko-fi.com slash not so secular. And so for today, I figured that it might be good to get to talk about some of the things that I've been working on recently. You see, I'm part of this group that works on material, content for a talk series that is primarily dedicated to the unchurched. So these are people who might not consider themselves Catholics or Christians, or since we live in the Philippines, they might be baptized as Catholics, but they might not take their faith all that seriously. It might not be something that's on their minds a lot. They might not even think of it at all. Maybe the most that they have involved, uh, the most involvement that they have in their faith is with their culture or family traditions and all that stuff. You know, these are the things that you do because we've always done these things. But maybe outside of that, their faith might not be such a big deal in their lives. And so these are the primary people that we're trying to that we're trying to speak to. In, the, in these talks that we are writing. Recently, I have been working on a talk about Cain and Abel. So Cain and Abel are Adam and Eve's kids. And the story, in a nutshell, is that Cain was jealous of Abel. He was envious, not just jealous. He was envious of his brother Abel. They were both offering sacrifices to the Lord, but the Lord favors Abel's sacrifices over Cain. Now, we're not told exactly why, but we are told that Abel's sacrifices were good. So there is some sort of um, hint there that maybe, you know, since Abel's sacrifices were good, maybe Cain's sacrifices were not all that good. But you see, Cain becomes bitter because of this fact, and the Lord warns Cain. The Lord warns Cain of what might take over him. There is sin is crouching at your doorstep. That is how it's phrased in the passage. But Cain, you see, he gives in to this beastly temptation and ends up murdering his brother out of envy because he wanted what his brother had it got twisted into becoming, well, I don't want him to have what he has. And so he ends up murdering his brother. God confronts Cain and Cain later on in exile builds a city of his own. So I was thinking of how how to elaborate on that passage and importantly also how to help a regular Filipino, an average Filipino, connect with it, understand it, and appreciate it better. So 
one of the ways that I thought of doing that is by connecting it to a universal experience and an experience that we all have because these first few stories in Genesis, in chapters 1 to 11, are also meant, they were also meant to work in that way. They were meant to reflect to us universal experiences and how these experiences might help us make sense of who we are, our identity, as well as the character of God, who He is, which is more important, if I might say. And so what I decided to focus on in the story of Cain and Abel is this experience of sibling rivalry. Now, just that, those words, the sibling rivalry, you know what that's like. Maybe you have brothers, sisters, maybe not, but you understand the concept of sibling rivalry. Whether that's because of first-hand experience or second-hand observation, these are things that we notice. Nakikita natin to sa mga drama pag nag-aaway-aaway na yung mga magkakapatid dahil sa mana ni Lola or something like that. These are things that we see in movies, diba? You have Thor and Loki. These are examples that I included in the talk. Thor and Loki who were sibling rivals and uh, they started off as enemies because Thor was one of the good guys, Loki was one of the bad guys, and so there was very real tension. But later on in the story, it was kind of resolved, kind of. And Loki is still a trickster, but they learned how to work with one another. A similar example to that would be Gamora and Nebula, right? This time, it's sisters instead of brothers. And it has kind of like a similar flow to it. It has a similar arc. This doesn't have to be biological, you know, the, the, these themes that we find in the media that we consume. We also see it, let's say, in the story of Anakin and Obi-Wan in Star Wars, diba? Right? This might be relevant to us because Obi-Wan just came out. I haven't watched it yet and I'm not sure if I want to. But <laughs> all that aside, you know, um, Anakin and Obi-Wan were like brothers to one another. And it's not just implied, it's spoken. Obi-Wan says it himself in, in episode 3 and after their battle in Mustafar, the lava planet. And after Obi-Wan defeats his former Padawan, he says, You were my brother, Anakin. I loved you. And so you see this trope of sibling rivalry. If you go to anime, you have Naruto and Sasuke. I've been watching Naruto recently, so this is this is kind of on the top of my mind. But you see the same thing, this, this brotherhood. And apparently, they were connected to this old brothers in ancient times and so on. I'm not going to elaborate anymore. Uh, not all of you watch Naruto, so it might not be important to you. But you see this experience of, of sibling rivalry. And that experience is what we see also in the story of Cain and Abel. But you see, unlike, unlike Gamora and Nebula or Thor and Loki, the story of Cain and Abel doesn't end well. It's more tragic. It's a bit like Obi-Wan and Anakin, if you want to put it that way. And one of the examples that I brought up in that talk or in that write-up, in that material, is the example of Scar and Mufasa from The Lion King. And The Lion King holds a special place in my heart, as in my parents would tell stories of how when I was young, I don't know if that's two or three years old, I don't even remember it fully. I have glimpses in my in my memory of of watching Lion King constantly, but that was what I used to do. And back then, we didn't have like Netflix or DVDs, not even. We had VHS tapes. And these were these big black blocks 
wherein you have the tape inside and every time you watch it, you have to rewind the entire thing so that you could watch it again a second time or a third time. And then after each time, you have to rewind it, basically. And so I learned as I was a young kid, you know, how to work the rewinder so that I could watch the movie again. And my parents just let me. And this was during the time when Disney movies were still good. They weren't woke yet. And so so I really enjoyed Lion King as in very much. And it's actually quite interesting because in our first missionaries boot camp. So I'm, I'm a part of a team of youth missionaries. And in our first boot camp, the boot camp is meant to be this, this final training slash retreat leading to the culmination of the entire preparation process before you are commissioned as a, as a youth missionary. So that boot camp is, it's two weeks long, at least during that time. And we watched actually, Lion King. And so you have people in their 20s and early 20s to late 20s gathered around, training to become missionaries, watching Lion King together. And I don't remember which came up. Was it the idea of watching Lion King? Did it come first before what I said? Or did I say something that led to us watching Lion King together? But I remember it because one of the things that I said during that time is I pointed out that there were actually secret villains in Lion King. Or maybe villains is a strong word. There were secret antagonists in Lion King. When you think of the, the enemies in Lion King, we think of Scar and the hyenas and so on and so forth. Well, actually, parang yun ang ayan. But um, you, you have in Lion King part of the the hindrances or part of the struggles that the main character Simba had to go through were not just Scar, the, the things that he did and the things that the, the hyenas did. It was also the things that Timon and Pumbaa did. Because Timon and Pumbaa, they, they, they rescued Simba and then they taught him their philosophy because they, they, were, they were trying to console him. He, he was downcast. He wasn't feeling good. He just came from a traumatic experience. His father just died and he had to run away for his life. And so he was found by Timon and Pumbaa. And what does Timon and Pumbaa teach him? They teach him, Hakuna Matata. Hakuna Matata, which means no worries. And there's even a catchy song that comes along with it. And... It, the idea as in of Hakuna Matata is, is the complete opposite of what the point of the movie is. Because Hakuna Matata is actually what kept Simba from fulfilling his true duty. Hakuna Matata is what kept Simba from taking his rightful place as the king. And we see this conflict when he meets Nala later on. So he grows up, meets Nala, his old friend who, who was a lioness, and um, Nala con- tries to convince him to go back and, and fulfill his role because he was supposed to be the king. But you see, Simba didn't want to have anything to do with that. Why? Because of Hakuna Matata. You know, kid, in times like this, my buddy Timon here says you gotta put your behind in your pants. No, no, uh, no. I mean, amateur, lie down before you hurt yourself. It's you gotta put your past behind you. Look, kid, bad things happen, and you can't do anything about it, right? Right. Wrong. When the world turns its back on you, you turn your back on the world. 
we, we don't think of this as as bad usually, diba? Kasi we, we sing it in a nice Disney song, but you know, not all Disney songs are meant, uh, they, they don't all contain good messages. You have Let It Go from Frozen, for example. That, that's not such a good message to sing to your kids if you listen to the lyrics well. <laughs> and the same goes for Hakuna Matata. That might have been helpful to Simba at, when he was young during that time because it was what he needed. It, it provided him at least uh, an adequate coping mechanism for him to continue to function and continue to live. And um, even though he was disconnected from his family, disconnected from what his childhood life was, basically, and he was growing with these two, these two guys. And... That might have helped him at the time, but it was also what hindered him from fully maturing into who he could become, into who he was really called to be, if you want to use, you know, um, churchy language. And so I find that very interesting because in the middle of the movie, before before the climax, when Simba was was being confronted with his past, he meets with the, the baboon, the family friend, um, Rafiki, and then he has this, this revelation. He has, he has this vision of whom he sees his father. He sees Mufasa. And then what does Mufasa tell him? Mufasa actually tells him the complete opposite of Hakuna Matata because Hakuna Matata says no worries, diba? Timon even says, if the world turns its back on you, you turn your back on the world. And But Mufasa, when, when he talks to his son, at least in this vision, what Mufasa says is, remember who you are. Simba, you have forgotten me. No. How could I? You have forgotten who you are and so forgotten me. Look inside yourself, Simba. You are more than what you have become. You must take your place in the circle of life. How can I go back? I'm not who I used to be. Remember who you are. You are my son and the one true king. And then a little after that vision, Simba and Rafiki has this exchange, has this conversation about how you ought to face the past. That when, when the past has happened, the past is over, it's in the past now. But the thing about the past is you can either run from it or learn from it. And that is what pushes Simba to go back to his kingdom, go back to Pride Rock and confront what needed to be confronted. And I don't, I don't mean to, you know, just give a Christian review of the Lion King or something like that. But I think, you know, this kind of message is something that is important to us nowadays. It's something that, that might be good to think about, good to ponder on. It's a kid's movie, so, so you might not think much of it. But one of the things that I love about good kids' movies is that they contain truths that are very deep, that are very rich. That's what makes a good kids' movie good. They're not just meant to be entertainment for toddlers. Although I do understand how, you know, sometimes that kind of just entertainment, plain entertainment might be necessary, diba? 
But that message, remember who you are. Yes, there are times when we worry about too much. We worry inordinately about so many things that are happening in our lives. And so it seems like kahuna matata, which means no worries, is something that would be sound advice, diba? Right? And I, I do agree that it's true that we should worry less, but the reason why we should worry less is not because we turn our backs against the world, but because we know who is ultimately in charge. Because we have hope. We have trust in the Lord. And that is what Jesus talks about in the Gospels, right? when he says that you look at the, the, the birds in the sky, you look at the, the flowers that bloom. Are you not more important than they? And so this relationship with, with worry that we have, uh, most of it has to do with these two circles. I often use this as an illustration when I'm, when I'm giving a talk. Right? You have a big circle in your life called your circle of concern. These are the things that concern you, that either affect you directly or indirectly, or the things that you care about, whether it affects you or not. But these are the things that are within your concern. But you see, within that that circle of concern, you have your circle of control. And your circle of control is smaller. It exists within, inside the circle of concern. What does that mean? It means that not everything that's within your concern is within your control. And we should not allow the things that concern us to overwhelm us to the extent that we fail to do anything about the things that we can control, the things that we can do something about. And that, that is important in that sense. And, and that is where, where the second message comes in, right? Yung Simba being called back to confront what needed to be confronted, to take his rightful place, to fulfill his role, to fulfill his, his calling. And the thing about these kinds of callings is that it's not easy, is that the, oftentimes you will encounter some sort of opposition, some sort of oppression. And that just because something is hard, that doesn't mean that it's wrong. Just because something is easy, that doesn't mean that it's right. We need to be able to discern properly what is worth pursuing and what is not worth pursuing, what is worth letting go. And that message that Mufasa gives in that vision, remember who you are, I think that is something that we need to we need to ponder on it reminds me of john paul ii's teaching on the theology of the body because when he was teaching on the theology of the body he didn't focus right away on the social issues that needed to be addressed rather he started with theology he started with what he called having an adequate anthropology what does that mean having a proper understanding of man that's what anthropology means anthropos man logi logia which uh, refers to a study or word is the more specific translation but study that's why we have biology geology and other fields of study like that so anthropology is the understanding of man and having according to john paul ii an adequate anthropology a proper understanding of what it means to be human is very important because if we understand who we are what we are then we will have better sense on what we ought to do because 
what we do, sometimes we get it backwards. We think about what we're supposed to do, what we're not supposed to do, what are what should we be free to have, what are we entitled upon. And we, we think of all of these things without even understanding, pausing for a while and looking into who we really are. How might we understand ourselves so that we can make sense of what is our rights, what is our responsibilities, what is our roles, and what is our restrictions because these are very important and it stems from who we are uh, this this is something that preachers use about we're not human doings we are human beings it is when we understand our being who we are that we have a better light on how we ought to act and not act and what john paul the second shows us is that there is this sort of feedback loop. It's like, a fe- he doesn't use this language, but that is how I understand it. That's, that's one of the words that I found helpful to use when explaining these things. There's this feedback loop because we were created in the image and likeness of God. And so when we understand theology, we understand anthropology. When we understand our creator, we understand what is created or who is created. It makes sense. It's like how... You know, Apple would understand how an iPhone is made, how an iPhone is supposed to be used, how it can be maximized. If your iPhone is broken, you don't go to an Android store, you don't go to Samsung and so on. No, you go to an Apple store, you go to Mac because that is they were the ones who manufactured the phone. They were the ones who created the phone and they understand it better. If we want to understand who we are, it helps if we go back to our creator. Now, where does the feedback loop apply? John Paul II points out that we as embodied creatures, since we are made in the image and likeness of God, the deeper we understand ourselves, the further insight we also have on what the Lord is like. Because he has embedded within us a, a, a part of himself, so to speak. Right? We are image-bearing children of God. And so as we understand ourselves and as we understand how we ought to relate to one another, we also have a better experience and better insight of what God is like. And so there's this feedback loop. We understand the Lord and that helps us understand us. And as we understand ourselves more, that helps us understand the Lord. The problem it, if, is if it's just one-sided. Right? It's just the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, and we don't think about people, we don't think about ourselves, we don't think about us, we don't think about our responsibilities. It's just the Lord do everything for me. That's an extreme. The other extreme is we try to do everything all all on our own and it doesn't work out also. There's this partnership that God is inviting us to participate in and it's very, very important. It's very, very crucial that we, that we allow ourselves to come into communion with the Lord in that way. And this is a very, very rich teaching from John Paul II. And I'm going to include links in the description for for the books. You see, uh, the Theology of the Body teaching in itself has been compiled into a book by John Paul II. It's quite long and it's not that easy to read if you're not used to reading these sorts of things. And so there are also other resources like Jason Everett, he wrote a uh, Theology of the Body in One Hour 
For me, it took longer than an hour to finish the entire thing, but it's super good. I, I recommend it. And there, then there's this uh, Theology of the Body Institute with Christopher West that does a great job of explaining a lot of these things also. I'm going to be including them in the description. Lastly, I want to wrap this up by pointing to an encounter that Jesus has with some of the people who were opposing him. They were testing him, trying to get him to say something wrong. And then they asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus answers, so there would have been plenty of options, of choices that Jesus could have picked, you know, out of the many hundreds of commandments that are written in the Old Testament and more that are unwritten. The, there were so much that you could have chosen from. Tayo nga nahihirapan tayo sa A, B, C, D na multiple choices. Ito pa kaya na hundreds of choices. But Jesus chooses to say instead a prayer that they prayed. It's called the Shema. And it goes like this. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. And then he adds something to it. He says, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Those two are inseparable for Jesus. Loving God, loving your neighbor as yourself. And so, in the wise words of Mufasa, one of the things that I'd like for us to ponder on is for us to remember who we are. Or if we haven't even figured out figure that out in the first place, it's for us to know who we are. Not who we are in an isolated fashion, but who we are in light of who God is because He is the one who made us. And that will help bring light into the things that we're supposed to do, the things that we're not supposed to do. That could help us the guiding wisdom that we need as we, as we are empowered by the Holy Spirit so that we could live fruitful lives here on this earth and so that we could follow him more intently and more effectively thank you very much for listening all the way through again if you want to support this podcast if you find it valuable useful do share it with your friends and you can go to ko-fi.com slash not so secular again that's ko-fi.com slash not so secular that is it for today thank you very much everyone see you next episode Bye.